Hi, and welcome to Joint Air Christian Lifestyle, the podcast where we celebrate diversity within the body of Christ. I'm your host, Shane Fritz, and today I'm going to be talking with you about something that's really been on my heart for a little while now, and, and I'm so glad that we're going to get to it today. And uh, and that's talking about really our children and and, and our future um, generation that, that we have uh with us right now today and where where their future's taken them and what they're up against and and a little while back i had the privilege of going to a conference it was talking about um really as parents being awake to what our children are going through uh there was a guest speaker uh there uh, uh via online uh femi reese and he is a uh, a brilliant author from nigeria wrote a really good book on wartime parenting and really that's the mindset that we have to understand is that we are parenting in a time of war and not not necessarily physical war but really spiritual war we're we're warring for the mind of the next generation and I say that because right now there are multiple sides who are contending for tomorrow they are contending for the next generation while we have them in a, in a vulnerable learning state today. This is all about education. This is all about identity. This is all about what will carry us through, uh, you know, in 20, 30, 40 years. It's our future generations that are being contended for now because who controls tomorrow will ultimately control today. Who controls tomorrow will ultimately control how we view the past. And and that's really powerful uh, when we start meditating on that, thinking about that. And that's really what's on the table here. And so um, today I want to start, we're going to start in Daniel um, chapter 1. And and Daniel chapter 1 really, this lays it out so well what, what we're looking at today um, through the example of four young Hebrew men. And so we're going to look at Daniel 1. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the place some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. As we look at this first text, What I see here is so telling about what we see today. First of all, I want to look at who the king was going after. 
And, and it says that he had identified young men from what? The royal and the noble families. He wanted those who, who had affluence and influence over their people. I'm going to say that again. He wanted people who had affluence and influence over their people. These are the peers among peers. These are the leaders that that generation would be able to look to. And it says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Nebuchadnezzar was no fool. He wanted men, young men, who had the look of success. He wanted them strong, he wanted them healthy, and he wanted them good-looking. He wanted people that in the natural, in the sensual, we could look at and say, well, that's what every young Hebrew should look like. He said, make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning. He didn't want dummies. He wanted the smartest and the best good-looking. He wanted those who were gifted, that had good knowledge. He didn't want goof-offs. He wanted men, young men, who could go into service in the royal palace. He wanted men that could be elevated in position. And this is exactly what we see in our school systems. It's what we see with our children it's what we see throughout the world that we want successful, young, smart people that we can elevate. But it wasn't without a catch. Because, see, he didn't want to just elevate them as they were. But there were instructions given. He said, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. As I think about the first thing that he wants them trained in says the language. And I think about what happens when we speak, what the Bible says happens when we speak. I think about Matthew twelve thirty four, right out of the heart. See, he wanted their heart condition to change. He wanted them to start viewing things differently and to naturally speak out what? The literature of Babylon, the thoughts of Babylon, what seemed good to Babylon. That's where he wanted to go. Colossians 2.8 says, empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. How many of us know this is exactly what our children today face? There is empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that is bombarding our children from every direction, particularly from our education system. I'm not trying to take away from teachers. I know we have really, really good teachers in our school system, good Christian teachers in our school system. But what I'm saying is that it's peppered in intentionally as they go through school that they become, what, indoctrinated, that the education system have an effect on them. And it goes further than that. If we drop down here to, to verse 7, we see this is one of the first places that, that they start trying to change the way they think and feel about things is number seven or verse 7 here. It says, The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. They're being stripped of identity right here. They get their names changed. And how do they get their names changed? So Daniel was called Belshazzar. 
I'm going to do these one at a time. We have to look at the meanings of the names. Daniel meant God is my judge. Belshazzar meant Bel, one of the false gods of Babylon. Bel will protect. Hananiah meant Yahweh has been gracious. His name's changed to Shadrach, which means inspired of a coup. Again, one of the false gods of Babylon. Mishael means who is what God is. And Meshach means belonging to a coup. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. And his name is changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego. Again, another false god of Babylon. The first place that Babylon hits, the first place that Nebuchadnezzar hits is in the names and the identities of these men. And it's not a subtle attack that he goes with here. They go right after what? The belief system, their core values, their belief in a creator and how they believe in that creator. It's the same thing that our young people face today. We talked about the literature of Babylon, high sounding nonsense. Yeah, as I think about the school system, I think about the education system. One of the things that my mind usually goes to is the the teaching of evolution. And how many of us know that, that evolution at best is a theory and it's not founded on anything. There's always a place where faith has to kick in to believe in evolution. It, the Bible is far more reliable in its in its uh teaching on creative matter and everything else. And and science has actually begun to shift and agree more and more with the teaching of the scripture. But, you know, we have this being taught as fact in our school. But how many of us know that just a few hundred years ago, the common belief system was that the earth was flat. And even that, you know, went against the scriptural teaching, actually the scriptures, um, I believe it's in the Psalms, has, has a very clear uh, picture of what the earth actually looked like and its position in space. And yet we had being taught in schools a couple hundred years ago and to, our, and to the youth and the general population that the earth was flat. Now we teach it in school. Look at how ridiculous it was that at one point in time, people believed that the earth was flat. Guys, I'm telling you that there is a time coming where if we keep contending for our future generations in a very real and intentional way, and not just that we are contending for our future generations, but we as parents, as the church, are educating them getting them smart. We cannot afford to be dumb Christians in the world that we live in. This is a time of information and not all of it's good information, but we are in a time of information like we have never been in, in all of history. And we need to make sure that the next generation has all the facts. We can't leave it up to those who would teach a godless, moralist principle and let our children be raised and molded by that. We need to keep their names and their identities firmly in him. And, and 
I just, I want to go on here. We're going to go to the next section of scripture here. And I want to go to Psalm uh, 127. We're going to look at verses uh, 3 through 5. And it says there, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so we begin to think about our children. We begin to think about the next generation as arrows, as arrows aimed. Now, it's awesome to think about our children being arrows, what they can accomplish, um, and what the future holds for them. One thing we don't talk about in that scripture is who the quiver is and who is aiming and propelling our children. And I, and I just want to talk about the quiver quickly. And, and really, the quiver is the support system for our children. As Christian parents, the the quiver can be our family. It absolutely is our family. But it goes bigger than that. The quiver is also definitely the church. Listen, our kids need that support system. They need good leaders. They need peers who are facing the same things they are day in and day out. And when we talk about bows, we're talking about those who can get their hands on these arrows. And we have to understand, we're talking about wartime parenting. I talked about that earlier. That book was written, and that title says so much. And as I think about wartime parenting, what we have to understand is that as soldiers would take off into the battlefield, right, they would have so many arrows on them. But as the battle continued, what would happen? They'd run out of arrows, and fallen soldiers, arrows on the ground, they would pick up and begin to use. And so what we have to be really intentional of is, first of all, protecting our children and aiming them in the right place, but also being sure that they don't end up in the wrong bows. And I want to talk about three types of bows specifically today. Number one, I want to talk about spiritual bows. Number two, I want to talk about mental bows. Number three, I want to talk about emotional bows. Number one, talking about spiritual bows. We talk about spiritual bows. We all know that, that, that there are different uh, views on God. There's different views on religion. But what I'm talking about is the spiritual bows that we as Christians are able to propel our children from. And the church absolutely is a place where we have to have our kids plugged into. We need to be there. We need to have regularity there. But one thing I want to talk about is this, and that's domesticating a spiritual atmosphere. We need to make talking about God, prayer, and worship in the home, Bible reading, normal within our home. I'd like to flip to a scripture here. Isaiah uh, 32 verse 18 says, My people will live in safety quietly at home. They will be at rest. My people, God's people, will live in safety quietly at home. One of the places 
that comes under attack so often is the family and the home life. And it's, and it's not by accident that that happens because the family at the family level is the place where children are so easily and probably most easily destroyed as parents. And regardless of what our family uh, makeup may be, one of the best things we can do for our home life with our children is to normalize spirituality, to to get them in a mindset where God is present with them in the living room. He's present with them at the dining room table. God's present with them while they're, while they're doing their homework. Uh, mom and dad, you know, they go and they pray. Mom and dad are off and, and, and they've got worship music playing and they're worshiping. And it's not that we're trying to make this over-spiritualized, but, but just on the contrary, we, it is to be our normal way of life. And the more that we normalize it at home, the more they will be able to normalize it in the field. You have to understand our children are in the mission field daily. When they go to school, what they're coming up against on a day-to-day basis is nothing short of a battlefield. And, and without the normalcy of prayer and of worship, uh, of feeling his presence, of knowing he's right there with them, they're going to flounder. They're going to feel abandoned. They're going to feel alone. And, and this is something that we just have to protect with, at all costs because their relationship and their identity in him, just like those four Hebrews, their identities as Hebrews were completely in God. Their names were not names of accident. They were names of purpose. And when their names were changed, their names weren't changed of accident. Their names were changed of purpose. They were going after their identity in him. The second bow I'd like to talk about is the mental bow. And I want to share this. This was at that conference. They made the statement. I thought it was so good. It said, no education system is without an agenda. No education system is without an agenda. Guys, this is such a simple statement. Um, When I heard it, I was like, oh, well, duh. And it's not that I'm saying anything bad about the public school system, that they have an agenda. This is a simple statement across the board. The, the school system definitely has an agenda. The media system definitely has an agenda. As Christians, our education system definitely has an agenda. We're, we're seeking to have our children not only walk in their identity in Christ, to, to, to know a fulfilled life, one that has um, joy and peace, um, you know, that they can go forth and they can be just shining lights in the community. We want all of that. We do. But we also want a future generation that carries Jesus so well that they advance the kingdom of God past where this generation, where this current generation has been able to. And so, you know, as we start thinking about that, 
our education, our Christian education with our children has an agenda. Part of that is combating the agenda of the enemy. And, you know, I touched on evolution earlier, but I'm just going to say this really straight out. Our kids need classes that say we have the mind of Christ, not the mind of apes. And and that right there is where it's all at. Our kids need classes where they are learning that they have the mind of Christ, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now dwelling in them, and that they are walking in the power and the authority that's been granted them with the position and the adoption of sons into the kingdom as heirs with Jesus. Listen, and we... You know, so much of this, there, there's even been studies as of late where, where they've been going out to employers and they've been talking to employers about what they seek out of potential employees. And I, wanted, and I want to say this. We all know that one of the first things we look at when we look at a job description is what? The education requirements. What surprised me about this recent study that was done, and this was a couple thousand employers, um, some of the biggest employers in the country, was that they said that they were focusing more on emotional intelligence. The day and age that we live in now, how many of us know that, that even carrying on simple conversation has become a skill set that has been lost by many? The, the ability to sit down and have one-on-one conversation. The ability to have eye contact with somebody as you're talking to them. The, the skill of shaking hands. All right? I mean, listen, I'm just being real here. This is all stuff that, that we, growing up uh, at my age, and I'm sure the generations past it, and, you know, this is stuff you learned as, as a young person growing up, how to interact with older people, how, how to interact with authority figures properly. And yet there's such a great faction of the population who's just become disconnected. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the use of electronics. Um, but, but the focus of emotional intelligence is how, I mean, think about this. This is Really, what we're talking about here, this is fruit of the spirit. This is um, how to maintain peace. This is how to to read a room and and know the situation. This is how to extend grace to somebody, to be long-suffering with people, right? That, that if I disagree with somebody, it's okay. We don't have to necessarily agree to work together. And these are all things that that employers are saying, this is what we find important. And the third bow we're going to talk about is the emotional bow. And, and the emotional bow is, is just that. It's, it's where our heartstrings are pulled. Um, and a lot of this has to do with, with things we see and, and things we feel, um, especially when it comes to our young people. Um, two areas that, that I want to talk about is media and the other one is, is about relations. And, uh, and when I think about media, you know, um, I'm going to talk about social media and it's not to detract from social media. Um, but as young people 
who are susceptible really to not understanding the full realities of life. They don't understand that everything that they're seeing is in a, you know, in a photo on Instagram or a video uh, that's being streamed that, that a lot of what we're seeing is done through filters and it's one photograph out of thousands of photographs and that, you know, when the special lighting comes down and the backgrounds are pulled away uh, or the excursion has ended, that there's a real life that people go back to. And uh, but it can be damaging because we start measuring um, our own lives and the success of our lives based off of what we see others and the popularity of others on social media. And that becomes like a, a warped sense of reality. It, honestly, I mean, we're talking about media and we're talking about these personalities, but listen, this is not a whole lot different than some of what we would talk about. Um, if we were talking about a subject like pornography, the warped reality and the warped, uh, you know, role and natural role of people in their God created positions. Um, with pornography. But as we talk about social media, it's very similar. Warped reality and the warped view of how people live affects how we live and how we see our life. And, and there's been all kinds of study about um, the fact that, that so much focus on that sort of thing can and does lead into um, possible depression, anxiety about how others perceive uh, what we have going on in our lives. And so all of that is a danger that as parents, we need to monitor. And really part of that is saying enough's enough. It's time to cut off from the screens. But also in there's a place where we need to um, reaffirm and, and emphasize what what really is um, life as described in the Bible successful. And, and, you know, a strong family is a good way to find that fulfillment and really just show that when we put our time in our children, it, it's not wasted time. Another, sorry about that. That was the phone hitting the floor. Another spot that we can talk about um, as far as emotional bows is that about relationships. And, you know, we see this um so much in our young ones, the push to date, the push to, to have these, uh, big adult feelings before they're even ready. And, you know, 12 and 13 year olds and even younger having, uh, really, you know, what, what you can describe as serious relationships. There's certainly emotionally serious relationships, even if you don't call them, uh, you know, it's not really dating they're play dates, right? But, but at the same time, the hours that get spent on phones conversing with one another and the, the feelings that are developing by uh, emotional systems that aren't ready to handle that can be very dangerous to our young ones. And that's a spot where, again, as parents, we can't just um, put parental controls on the phone and hand them a phone and act like everything's fine. Um, we were all kids once. Uh, there's workarounds and there's dangers no matter how many uh, safety bumpers we put up, right? Um, that's just that's just the way of the world. Um, but when we continue to emphasize a relationship with Jesus over a relationship with the opposite sex, um, that's really, really important. There's so many dangers that go along with those those early formed relationships like that. 
but even beyond relationships with the opposite sex, again, we, you know, um, in this age of technology, again, you know, kids are cut off from people in a lot of ways that, that they used to be plugged in. Um, and so developing healthy relationships with peers, one-on-one interaction with peers, this is a place where, whereas parents, we take them out of the damaging bow, we put them into the proper bow. But, you know, they're going to learn that from watching mom and dad a lot of times and how we interact. There's a call for, for us as adults that, listen, we can't just unplug after work. Listen, I'm talking to myself a little bit right now, too. We can't unplug after work. We can't unplug after a long day and just sit on the phone and veg out. Like, there, there's a time for relaxation in that way, but... Like we need to be having real conversations with our kids. We need to be focusing on that relationship. We need to be focusing on a relationship with a heavenly father and, and going after that. And our children need to see us going after that. They need to see that we're finding fulfillment in him so they can see the proper place to go to find fulfillment in themselves. So they're not constantly looking to, to a member of the opposite sex to fulfill them and, and to find their identity in them and their validation in them. See, we, we have to start emphasizing all of this at a young age so that they can grab hold of it and so that they can run well. But guys, we're going to wrap this up for today here. I appreciate you guys listening. I hope that this has been a help to somebody. This is really just, it's food for thought, but I think it's good food for thought. I think it's a place where we have to... Uh, as the the next generation, we have to put some time into thinking about this. If we want our youth to run well, if we want our arrows to get to to the proper target, if we if we want uh, our tomorrow to look better than our today, we have got to put time into this stuff, and we've got to focus on it. We've got to give it the attention we need, and uh, and so we're probably going to be hitting this um, a little bit more here in the upcoming weeks, but. Uh, until we talk again, I just hope this has blessed you and, and uh, just want to say to have a blessed day. Bye.